0: You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the t Speakeasy, with your hosts, Caleb and Aaron. Listen in as they discuss the 2020 series, The Queen's Gambit. To uh, talk about the Queen's Gambit? Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's my buddy Aaron here. Yeah, we've been friends for two, was it like 2007 maybe when we met? Sounds right. Yeah, so it's definitely been a long time now. It's good to have you on the show.
1: Well, thanks a lot, Caleb. I know we've always shared a little bit of a a passion for cinema, although yours has been greater than mine, and and we've always shared a bit of a passion for chess, although uh, maybe I, I leaned a little bit more in that direction.
0: Oh, yes. Much, much more. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've always really enjoyed playing chess, but I've never really been good at it. I, I think I'm a little bit too impatient. Chess is one of those things where there's so many levels. So, <laughs> so it's also true of me that I'm not very good. <laughs> I remember you beating me many, many a times when we play. <laughs> yeah, was there anyone else that we played with, really, at camp? Um, uh, Jesse played uh,
1: every once in a while. And then there was always the odd person who would give it a try. But it's rare that I found someone who's as um, enthusiastic and passionate about chess than I am.
0: That's fair. Well, it's always good to have something, you know? Yeah, So
1: I'm, I'm really glad to guest on The Novice Elitist and talk with you about The Queen's Gambit today.
0: Yes, The Queen's Gambit, I guess we'll jump into that. So yeah, so this is your pick. Uh, and I'm, I'm assuming, you know, chess is what drew you to the show originally.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And right off the bat, I have to say that, in my opinion, it's the best chess show ever. So just some of the details on The Queen's Gambit. It's a limited series on Netflix. It's quickly garnered a lot of acclaim. It's uh, been directed by Scott Frank, based on the book, The Queen's Gambit, by Walter Tevis. And it's starring Anya Taylor-Joy as the lead character, Elizabeth Harmon.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's what originally drew me to the show, was I basically have seen, I think, all of the films that she's been in, except for, like, maybe that most recent one, Emma. It's not even that I super liked her as an actress, I just kept seeing all the things that she was in, I, I don't know why. Oh, that's really interesting, because I didn't know about her at all
1: until seeing her here, but I have to say, I'm, I'm definitely a fan after watching her performance.
0: Great actor. Yeah, this I was, I was really impressed with her in this, this is, I think her best work. But yeah, I saw her just a couple months ago in New Mutants in the theater. I went to go see that, the last of the uh, Fox X-Men films, and she's not good at that. I don't think it's her (laughs) fault. I think it was a terrible role, but it was kind of an embarrassing performance. I was like, oof.
1: Does she play as a mutant? What's her superpower?
0: Oh, I mean, that's one of the reasons it's embarrassing is (laughs) I really have no clue what the power was. It was like she had like an imaginary friend dragon and she could like create a weird sword arm and also create like a whole other dimension that she'd jump in out of and it was very very bizarre I was horribly confused as to what <laughs> he was doing maybe the the
1: well has finally run dry with the the Marvel X-Men
0: <laughs> well I mean yeah it's the last one they're gonna make at least from from Fox
1: I did think Logan would have decent on, on a second yeah, which view.
0: Which Scott Frank actually wrote. So uh, that's a nice little tie-in there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, perfect tie-in, yeah.
0: Yeah, Also Wolverine. Uh,
1: Yeah, so um, I think that the Queen's Gambit, it's obviously, that's the name of a very popular um, chess opening. So that's the position that you you get after White starts the game with D4, Black responds D5, and then White plays C4, offering a pawn to Black, and that's called the Queen's Gambit. In the Uh final uh, match of the series, the World Championship, Beth, the main character, plays the Queen's Gambit and ends up, spoiler alert, winning the game. (laughs) Talk
0: about spoilers. (laughs) Is it okay to talk about spoilers or try not to? Yeah, see, since I've never done a show like this, I was going to be like, maybe we should do a brief non spoiler section, but I I don't think it really matters. Most of our shows spoil everything, so who cares? Okay, I'll try not to
1: spoil too much, but. uh...
0: Well, I mean, we we could, I was going to like do like maybe 10 minutes of no spoilers. I guess it's been 10 minutes. But But yeah, so I I wasn't really sure how to structure a show like this. Did you want to run through the plot much or just kind of focus on like the elements of the cast or the production overall?
1: Yeah, I was thinking about um, discussing a little bit of the narrative and, and the themes and then some of the cinematic qualities And then talking about maybe a couple of my uh, favorite scenes and then and then kind of putting this show in context of the the other chess shows and uh, maybe give you a couple of my takes and and hopefully some of those things are interesting and they they generate more conversation.
0: Yeah, the other chess shows I'm very curious about because I don't think I've seen any other shows really centered on chess.
1: Do you want to go there now and then we can see because I'm sure you'll recognize some of these. You're quite the encyclopedia for film knowledge.
0: Yeah, film, but not TV. TV is not an area that I really spend a lot of time in.
1: Okay, well, how about so, this one? Um, 1957, The Seventh Seal.
0: Yeah, Igmar Bergman. I've never seen yeah. that film, but I've wanted to for a very long time.
1: Oh yeah, that's a classic, um, and that involves the character playing chess against death um, mm-hmm. as the the overarching uh, narrative.
0: Yeah, I've wanted to. See, I've always planned to do like a big Igmar Bergman retrospective and i just it always gets pushed pushed back <laughs> one day
1: yeah that that's a good film our friend jesse showed me that one actually uh, the seventh seal nice some other films that are maybe a little bit more obscure are uh, 1993's searching for bobby fisher um 2012's mm. brooklyn castle oh, 2014's that. pawn sacrifice starring toby Maguire, after his spider-man days oh and then, of course, huh. um, chess is alluded to and there are allegories for chess in numerous cinema and TV shows.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, the only thing that came to me was an episode of Doctor Who, because I always have to mention that on our show. <laughs> but yeah, The Curse of Fenric, there's a lot of chess in that. But In <laughs> Sherlock
1: Holmes and The Wire, lots of shows love to throw in chess as a way of telling you something about a character or, or making something seem you know deep and intellectual, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty easy little trope to throw to. And,
1: and there's so many metaphors and allegories you can use for chess that it's it's very rich um, in that sense.
0: Yes, it's very true.
1: But um, you know, despite all those things, I, I would definitely say that the Queen's Gambit is, is the best of them all. Um, and part of that reason, I think, is because it's not only about chess. In this story, the the main character suffers a childhood trauma. And then chess is kind of a vehicle that she's able to use to shape her life. So it's very interesting for people who are passionate about chess, like myself. But the, the quality of the show, I think, appeals to a much broader audience. So some of the themes, I'll just list them, and then maybe we can talk about some of them. Sure. Being an orphan, being a child prodigy, alcoholism and addiction, friendship, coming of age adoptive rejection, mental health, self-destruction, sexual discovery, female empowerment, the Cold War, the 1960s, especially fashion of the 1960s.
0: Yes, very much so. One of my favorite aspects.
1: Definitely, yeah. <laughs> also, um, chess, fame, and passion. So I thought those were some of the, the themes that pretty much everyone can connect to and, and relate to
0: yeah because I could see chess especially chess of the 60s I mean it's kind of very very different nowadays I really don't think it has anywhere near the appeal that it had at that time absolutely but especially especially focusing on a young female character could definitely broaden the audience and uh Anya Taylor-Joy I, I feel like maybe she's one of the big actresses right now I I really don't know <laughs> I mean Glass and Split were probably the two big things that she did.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's actually where I saw her before, um, Split, the M. Night Shyamalan uh, thriller. Yeah. I think probably his best work since um, The Sixth Sense.
0: Oh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> he, he's had some flops
1: yeah. in between.
0: Yeah, we actually covered one of his movies, The Last Airbender. Oh, right. And when we, when we covered that, I watched all of his films at the time. And yeah, that was definitely like, oh, if nothing else comes close, split step in best work. Yeah. I thought Glass was kind of a, kind of a little bit of a letdown, but I thought she was quite good in it. And uh, James McAvoy was great in it as well. Yeah,
1: I, I liked uh, his performance. Yeah, at least uh, in Split. One of the things that I thought was a really powerful technique that they used in The Queen's Gambit was the way that they portrayed this character as an orphan. And mm-hmm. I think that made the character very readily uh, relatable because at first you have this gorgeous redhead uh, white woman and that that is appealing for a lot of people but it's not necessarily relatable so by portraying her as an orphan as weak as vulnerable as being let down by her parents as being trapped uh, i think we all are able to empathize with that, because in some way or another, we all feel that our parents have let us down.
0: Yeah, I mean, I it's definitely universal truth, I think, for most people. Yeah. And then you meet the odd ones that it isn't, and it's kind of unusual. <laughs> the people will just like worship their parents. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, definitely, definitely a very traumatized character, at least early on. Right. And very socially awkward. And recently,
1: I don't know if you've discovered the same thing, but recently I found that I'm much more cynical than I once was in my approach to uh, films and protagonists, and they have to work a lot harder to get me on their side than
0: perhaps they once did. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, and no, I'm a, I'm a pretty easy lay when it comes to film characters.
1: I remember in particular watching uh, the most recent Star Wars trilogy. I had a really hard time investing in any of the, the main cast. I really didn't care what happened to them.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were so... Kind of poorly written it's it's hard to really see them as real characters I kind of feel like cut out characters
1: yeah yeah unfortunately Disney robots
0: <laughs> it helps when you have such a great actress like at least in this performance Annie Taylor joy and even that little kid Isla Johnston I think yeah. you say her name yeah but she did a very good job playing that kind of despondent awkward kid totally
1: yeah I thought uh isla johnson was really good and even the five-year-old actress annabeth kelly i thought did really well and there was great continuity between their performances
0: yeah i kind of forgot about the little kid actress didn't really get a ton of scenes with her but right and usually in those scenes i was more focused on the mother just something of a disturbing character to talk about but
1: (laughs) yeah and that's another point the the acting was also good from the
0: supporting cast uh all throughout oh yes very good yeah, and I guess talking about like the stuff in the orphanage, Mr. Shyball, played by Bill Camp, I thought he was also very good. Yeah. He didn't have a ton of dialogue, but just such a kind of a thoughtful face. But I definitely thought his relationship with the young Beth was one of the, the best parts of the show early on. That's really interesting,
1: because I found him to be like quite aloof and distant to her. At first, he didn't want to teach her chess he didn't say much to her he didn't give her much direct encouragement Mm -hmm. as like a like a parent would which in some ways he was filling that role in a way but he did introduce her to chess
0: (laughs) yeah and i thought i thought that was one of the interesting things with him too because you could tell he was very much not a person who interacted with other people by his choice just having this young girl kind of insert herself into his life yeah at first he was definitely kind of uh keeping her at an arm's length but i think by the end at least when she leaves the orphanage he definitely had grown a very strong bond with her oh yeah i thought it was a real shame that she never went back (laughs) to go see him i I was like oh man poor bastard died never got to see her again like oh (laughs) i'm sure it would have been really awkward anyway (laughs) oh yeah definitely
1: but there was that beautiful awkwardness of that photograph that they took together yes very (laughs) i just thought that was fantastic acting
0: yeah that, that was a great moment that, that moment, too, when she went to that chess club and just, just trounced everybody, I thought was another great moment.
1: Some of the other cinematic qualities, other than the acting, which I think were strong points, was the camera work. I thought that it was very professionally done, and like the transitions and the cuts and the angles and the movement was really great. I remember one scene in particular in episode three, Double Pawns. At about the twenty-three minute mark, they do a um, like a sliding camera from outdoors into I think a hotel as um, Beth walks in with her mother, and I thought that was a really awesome transition. That maybe I wouldn't have noticed a few years ago, but learning a little bit more about filmmaking, that kind of encapsulated the the high-minded uh, techniques that were being used that that are effective but subtle that you wouldn't really notice unless you're you have an eye for that.
0: Yeah, and no, I was surprised to see that Scott Frank hasn't really directed a ton. Mm-hmm. He directed another show for Netflix called Godless, but I, I think he also directed two movies, so I forgot to write them down. <laughs> but yeah, he did a lot of great work in this series. Definitely want to check out his other show. And their DP, too, Steven Meisler. He's also not done a ton of stuff, but he worked with Scott Frank on Godless as well, so carrying some of that over.
1: Another thing which I thought was really great, which you kind of mentioned as well, the costumes and the settings looked really nice in this show.
0: Felt very period accurate. Like, I love seeing the the 50s stuff. We didn't get a ton of 50s stuff, but I don't know, there's just such an unusual style to the 50s. And then jumping into the 60s, that stuff was just... Yeah, I love seeing all that. Absolutely. Um, The orphanage in
1: the beginning really gives off the institutional, austere vibe. And then once Beth does get adopted and she starts to discover herself and experiment with fashion, we get a little bit more of that 60s, especially you know as she starts to express herself more in her wardrobe. And then even the, the parts toward the end when they're portraying the, the Soviet chess theaters with the high ceilings and things like that, I thought it was really well done all
0: throughout. Yeah, I thought all that Soviet stuff was especially interesting. I got kind of a mild fascination with USSR Russia, just kind of that period. And there's such a coldness to to everything every time I watch things surrounding it. And yeah, it was a nice uh, chance to see some more of that in this show.
1: Absolutely. And uh, that's something I'm going to touch on a little bit later. But the way that Russia was portrayed, I thought, was very, very fair. They didn't go out of their way to make them villains or heroes romanticize the USSR, yeah. so I thought that was really good.
0: Yeah, they kind of skirted around the, the Cold War stuff. They didn't really get into the politics of it too much except for that asshole uh, what'd you call it, like escort that she had who kept trying to get her to do the propaganda. Apart from that, they really didn't touch on it. Oh, the, <laughs> right, the the Christian crusade. <laughs> well, there was definitely those folks, but she had that escort. Oh, yeah, yeah, the American, yeah. Okay. With kind of feeder lines. <laughs> right, <laughs> the okay. little prick. Yeah, I remember that. But yeah, it was definitely fair and it was nice kind of seeing how even when some of those great chess players in Rush would lose, they'd still have that kind of delighted respect for her, yeah. especially like that old man. Totally. I thought that was nice. Yeah, that was very classy
1: and uh, showed good sportsmanship. Like real chess players uh, like Boris Spassky really did have that, that sportsmanship and that friendliness. In one match against Bobby Fischer in 1972 in Iceland, at the end of the game, he stood up and applauded for his opponent, for the the beautiful mastery that he showed in that game. Even though he lost, you know, he just- Oh, that's wonderful. He was that much of a sportsman. Despite all the Cold War pressures, right?
0: Yeah, the Cold War, such a weird period, (laughs) such a strange dynamic going on. All the kind of proxy ways that they compete against each other, like the space race and all the weird proxy wars. Absolutely. And then chess of all things, it's so bizarre. (laughs)
1: Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's the answer to the, the point you brought up earlier about how um, the role of chess in the popular culture is not what it used to be uh, during that time when it was when it was the battleground of intellectual superiority of the Soviet system over the decadent West.
0: Yeah, you know, that's that's fair. Maybe they kind of bolstered that at the time, especially in the US side try to put more attention on it for that reason oh yeah i mean chess was
1: never as popular as in 1972 when bobby fisher became world champion that's probably one of the few names of chess that almost anyone would recognize yeah. um the others i would put in line with bobby fisher are maybe gary kasparov magnus carlson and now elizabeth Harmon one of the things that i thought was passable but not necessarily the strongest point were the uh, video effects so one of the things that they do from time to time is have beth visualize a chessboard on the ceiling and then she's able to manipulate the pieces in her mind in her mind's eye on that board and it it isn't terrible it doesn't take you out of the movie experience but it's not necessarily fantastic but you know those things take a big budget and and this was a a limited series and they they put their money in other things so i think it's fine
0: i thought it worked well when it was more of a like a hallucination type deal like when she was super drugged up (laughs) i thought it worked just fine (laughs) it was more like the (laughs) the big climactic match and she's looking up at the ceiling (laughs) That's when I thought it went a little bit questionable. <laughs> I, I don't
1: know. Yeah, they definitely make that connection between the the tranquilizer meds and her her ability to visualize chess.
0: Yeah, you know, I thought they kind of showed her gradual development with chess and drugs paralleling together quite well. Like in that first match when she plays all those students at once at the chess club. Oh, the final? yeah. Immediately afterwards, they take away the tranquilizers and she does that... Um, Tries to steal them and has that little. I couldn't tell if she OD'd or just kind of passed out, <laughs> but this kind of the the success and immediate downfall is definitely something you see a ton in this series.
1: Yes, actually, I want to talk about that more because that's actually my favorite scene in the series. So, oh, okay, huh. that scene happens at the the end of episode one. So, these this series is seven episodes long, and each of them has a name. Um, which represents a different phase of a chess game. So Episode 1 is called Openings. Episode 2 is Exchange. Episode 3 is Double Pawns. Episode 4 is Middle Game. Episode 5 is Fork. Episode 6 is Adjournment. And Episode 7 is Endgame. So I think that's a really kind of a cool and classy way to name the show without drawing too much attention to itself, which I think is indicative of the style of this series. Yeah, I didn't even notice. (laughs) Good catch. So um, my favorite scene is, like I said, in episode one at the end. So Beth is a very intelligent child, and she's been cut off from her tranquilizer medication, which she has become addicted to. So she comes up with a little plot of how to get access to them in, like, the, the pharmacy area. So she steals a screwdriver from Mr. Scheibel And then during a time when the orphanage was screening a film, 1953's The Robe.
0: Oh, I was wondering what that
1: was. She sneaks away and unscrews the lock and climbs into the window and takes the pills for herself. And she doesn't just take a few. She stuffs her face with with as many as she can, fills her pockets, (laughs) tries to climb out, but then goes back for the whole jar. And, And at that time, she is caught... The jar shatters and yeah, I think she, you know, the, the medication causes her to lose consciousness and she passes out and falls over.
0: Yeah, right on the glass too, like, damn. <laughs> like... <laughs>
1: and that scene was really great for me. It it, it was reminiscent and brought up of nostalgia from some of these great 90s movies where, where kids have little plots like um, Home Alone or uh, The Parent Trap and especially uh, Matilda. That's the one that I really thought of oh yeah
0: i could see that
1: (laughs) yeah i haven't seen that one in a long time that's another classic so yeah that that was my favorite not to say that it was downhill after that but i just thought that was such a strong start and it's very hard not to jump into the second episode after that dramatic conclusion
0: yeah that's fair that was a great moment the first episode is definitely one of the great ones in the show there's a lot of really good episodes but this covers so much ground and yeah there's it's just a great opening and again, a nice little spotlight for Isla Johnston. I don't think she really shows up too much more in the series. She's a little bit in episode two, then a couple little pockets here or there. She'll like show up for a scene, like a flashback scene. Yeah, yeah. But all that stuff with Mister Scheibel too. Like I originally thought that he was going to be kind of rapey. There's just something about his introduction where I was like, oh god, no, I don't want to see this. Like her parents just died. It was so sweet. I was just was it
1: something about him, or is that just the the environment that you've been uh, surrounded
0: by recently? Well, I have been watching a lot of really rapey films, unfortunately. But no, it's just when she first like saw him and his keys were jangling, I feel like that was one of those details that they always focus on with like sexual assault kind of scenes. It's actually interesting. So I was like, oh, God. It's interesting to me that you bring that up because I, I thought that they
1: might have been alluding to some kind of sexual misconduct at the orphanage as well, but not from Mr. Scheibel, from the young black orderly there were a couple times when he put his hands on Jolene, like in the movie theater, or he told her to wake up, and then she went, she goes and smokes a cigarette, uh, which, as we know, is a like a, a movie hint that someone just had sex. And I don't know if, if I'm totally right about that, but it just felt like there was something weird happening between
0: them. Yeah, and I think her first scene even, they go into the orphanage, and she starts like swearing, and he goes and grabs her and pulls her across... Uh... At least our view, I'm not sure where he's pulling her to, but...
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I
0: didn't get that reading, but he's definitely grabbing on her quite a bit. But Absolutely. she's kind of the that's, troublemaker, so...
1: That is a... Um, when when children act out, that's that's sometimes a symptom of, you know, being abused. And and she was definitely over the top with her potty mouth. But I don't know. Yeah, and, and
0: that's that's an interesting thing about the orphanage section, is she's kind of the other mentor that she has there, that Beth has. Like anytime that there's something that Beth doesn't know, she immediately goes to Jolene. So I thought that was kind of a nice setup for their later relationship in the series. Did you think yeah. it was curious that they used the same actress? They didn't uh, have a kid version for her?
1: Oh, really? I didn't know that. There was only one actress playing Jolene the whole time? Yep. Oh my gosh. That's that's really impressive because she starts out as like maybe a 12-year-old and then she's portrayed in her like mid-30s.
0: I thought she was maybe supposed to be older, like maybe like 15. Oh, sure. And then when... Uh, when Beth gets adopted, she's like maybe only a year away from being aged out or something like that. That's just the impression I got. But, sure, yeah. But yeah, Moses Ingram. I've, I've not seen her in anything else, but I thought she was really good.
1: <laughs> I thought like, wow, they found like the perfect pair of actors <laughs> to, to portray this character. I didn't think it was literally the same person.
0: Yeah, and man, did I love when she showed up in like her black exploitation kind of, she had the, the big fro and the <laughs> outfit. It took me back, man. Yeah. <laughs> I had a major uh, black exploitation marathon earlier this year, so...
1: Oh, yeah. What's the Quentin Tarantino uh, black exploitation film? Um, uh, he did Jackie Brown, Jackie which is Brown. kind of like... Yeah, Jackie Brown.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like a modern look-back. But then also kind of Django and Chain gets yeah. into that stuff. Yeah, so I watched, like, Coffee and uh, Foxy Brown, the two big Pam Greer films. It's like, oh, man, I love that stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think overall... I'm really pleased with the the impact that the Queen's Gambit is having in terms of bringing attention to chess, and also, like you said, getting a new generation of women and girls to uh, check out chess and to see chess as a, a game for them.
0: Yeah, that's kind of one of the things I was hoping that this would do, because it is kind of a shame that chess has, like, lost a lot of its luster. I think it's kind of seen as, like, the old man's kind of sport. I guess not even sport, really, <laughs> but...
1: yeah definitely since the 1990s i think 1992 1994 when ibm's deep blue defeated um gary kasparov the the world chess champion at the time and and computers took that leap ahead of human beings it definitely took something away from the human side of that competition to think that as good as you are even if you're the best human in the world you know uh, a computer that you can buy for three ninety nine from the app store <laughs> is uh, superior, so it, it takes away that that motivation that you'll never really be the best. So chess is in an interesting place right now. Uh, it's been dealing with that phenomenon since the nineties, and then with this pandemic, it has caused a huge number of people to look for new hobbies and things that they can do at home and online. And chess streaming has exploded. Oh, wow. In combination with this show, it's it's generating a lot of new people playing chess, which is very that cool. That is
0: very cool. But yeah, some of the other characters. Is there any that really stood out for you? I mean, I had one that I liked a whole lot. Yeah.
1: Who, who was that?
0: Oh, uh, it was Benny. Oh, Benny. Yes. Now, that, that act, actor I've seen... I know he was in Game of Thrones and he showed up in a Doctor Who episode. And I feel like he shows up in a lot of random stuff, but I thought he was really good in this. I was really impressed with his performance as well. Yeah, there's something just very relatable to him. Especially with dealing with someone who's got addiction problems and constantly trying to push her to trying to push her to better herself, but also respecting that, you know, she is who she is. I liked that moment after her big loss with Borgov. Yeah. Her first big loss. He's like, uh, "Don't go back and like burn it on your own. You can even come here and burn out if that's what you want to do." I thought that was a really nice moment for him. But I also liked seeing how their relationship developed from just like that one interaction early on, and just slowly building. So it's always kind of curious to think about how that those interactions happen over time.
1: Yeah, I also thought the actor did a really great job because. For me, sometimes it's hard to see someone who's like a little bit short or a little bit slim as like tough and imposing. And and especially quirky, like Ben mm-hmm. Benny wears a cowboy hat, a leather jacket, and carries around a knife, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it's
0: duster on.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would have been very easy to see that character as an oddball or a clown, but you end up really respecting Benny's chess passion.
0: Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting having their romance like right after her romance with Beltic because he kind of left her because he was like, uh, All you can see is chess, and that's just not going to work for me. It's kind of funny seeing her.
1: Yeah, that, that's interesting to me because I didn't really perceive those things as relationships. I thought I saw that more as like sexual discovery. I never really saw um, Beth and Harry or even Beth and Benny as being romantic, but more just her. Discovering her own sexuality, and and then the real romance was with Towns, another character who she plays chess with, and later he becomes the reporter, and that one I thought was really good. I was actually really cheering for them, um, from the first time that he was on screen, and I was really happy that that was the love story in the end.
0: Yeah, was it though? I mean, at the end, I could never quite tell if he was supposed to be like in the closet gay. Or maybe just buy. It, it was kind of confusing for me. <laughs> the whole scene with Roger. <laughs> I really didn't understand quite what to, to think of that.
1: But isn't there that one point where she confides in uh, Cleo, the French girl, about the one guy who she really did have feelings for the whole time?
0: Oh yeah, definitely for her. That was like her... I almost took it as more of a, like a girlhood love. And that kind of in the end, you know, when she left that final match, it was kind of like saying goodbye to that, I thought... I did think it was sweet that she stopped and gave him a last kind of picture specific for him. I thought that was a sweet little moment for them. But again, that's one of those interesting relationships where you see where it kind of started at that same match where she went against Baltic the first time. And just all those years later, how they both kind of changed in life. And I, I don't know, I just like seeing stories that take place over so many years like that. See how people's lives evolve.
1: Absolutely. So I've written down a couple notes on like some of my takes so I can share them now if you like. Sure. So I thought one thing that the show did really well was it juggled a lot of really heavy themes. So it dealt with these things like alcoholism, uh, maturity, sexuality in a very mature way. And it gave you those emotional highs and lows, but it felt earned. Um, And it wasn't overly indulgent in those high moments. And then in the ending, it left you in a very sweet moment, but with still like questions unanswered. Mm-hmm. where, like, you don't know how things end up for them after this point, which I liked. They, they left it up to you.
0: Yeah, I mean, really only seeing such a brief snapshot of her life. I mean, I think she's, like, still maybe, like, 24 at the most at the end of it, so... <laughs> just at the start of her being at the top of her game.
1: Yeah, very true. Maybe the, the sequel will be her downfall, just like Bobby Fisher.
0: Yeah, that was the curiosity I wasn't sure if they were going to make, because, I mean, there's only the one book. I can't imagine that they'd have enough in that book to spread out to a second series or season i should say that's the doctor Who thing again
1: it's become so popular that there might be some pressure to make a yeah. sequel but i wouldn't be optimistic about the quality of it because i felt like this was a full story it had a, a beginning a middle and an end and um and I think it would be hard to improve on.
0: <laughs> yeah, especially those ones where they like kind of rush it out. Like, I don't know if you watched Stranger Things. No, I didn't. Yeah, like that first season you could tell like this was something that the people behind it had been thinking about for years and years. And it planned out like a great series. And then the next two were just kind of like, <sighs> oh no, the show's really popular. Let's just quickly throw out something. Don't you hate It's just like a jumble of ideas. They, yeah, they, I hate that. <laughs>
1: they give you so much promise, they whet your appetite, and then they don't deliver.
0: Yeah, it's such a shame when that happens. You know who that Sometimes reminds it, me of? It reminds me of Stephen Moffat. Ugh yeah. Yeah, his I've heard his Sherlock stuff is also has that problem, but with Doctor Who, yeah, hugely that's oh, that, his problem. It
1: killed Sherlock, Caleb. It killed Sherlock. <laughs> it made me uh, realize it was actually never good.
0: <laughs> that's that's what happened with his Doctor Who for me too. I mean He still had his moments of brilliance. Like I'm right now I'm reviewing a Doctor Who episode that he wrote. I'm like there's a lot of really brilliant moments but overall I think he's just uh he's he can't help himself he fucks everything up. Yeah, I'm glad I never got into Sherlock. <laughs> I watched the first season when it came out and didn't really care and just never never caught up with it again. Yeah. yeah. Although funnily enough I really liked Elementary. <laughs> did you ever watch that Sherlock show? <laughs> um, no, I I did hear about that. I am a huge Sherlock fan <laughs> as well. Like, not yeah, of the I, show, but, like,
1: of Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, novels and character.
0: I've only read a few. Um, I think I made it through How kind of to the Baskervilles and a bunch of, like, the shorts before then. Mm-hmm. But I'm not not quite uh, deep in enough. Did you watch Noah Holmes? Noah Holmes? Enola? Nola Holmes. No. Yeah, it just came out on Netflix.
1: Is that a Sherlock show?
0: It's, um, it's like, based on a series of kids' books about, like, Sherlock's sister. Enola. Oh. And like her mysteries that she solves. Yeah, and Sherlock Holmes and Mike Holmes are both in it, but they're just kind of like side characters. Right, right. That's cool. It was okay. That sounds good. (laughs) Or at least a good concept. The books are probably fun. It just kept breaking the fourth wall the whole movie. She was constantly talking to the audience, and I just find that off-putting.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I've seen it done well where I like it, but it doesn't always work.
0: Yeah, I'm a fan of Deadpool comics, and Deadpool's constantly breaking the fourth wall, but Deadpool's kind of like a crazy lunatic. Like, you can never tell if he really understands that he's breaking the fourth wall or if he's (laughs) just crazy. Whereas Enola, she'd be talking, and people would be walking by around her, and I'd be like, are they seeing her talking to the audience right now? Do they hear what she's saying? Yeah, it's not the most creative writing either to break the fourth wall
1: all the time. It's like, you know, you might have had a better way to portray what you're trying to say. Yeah, that's fair one of the things that we talked about was um kind of the positive portrayal of russia and the the chess passion in russia mm-hmm. um so they did feature you know the kgb and that kind of thing they, they, they didn't hide those aspects but um i would contrast the queen's gambit with something like chess in concert which is a stage show written by the abba guys and tim rice Uh-oh. starring josh robin it. and indina menzel and in that one, they really play into that Cold War dynamic. Uh, the Russians are the, the evil bear. There's nothing they wouldn't do to cheat and and that kind of thing. Oh, no. So I really like that they didn't portray Russia unfairly. And then, of course, there's that really cute scene at the end where you have um, all the oh. old men and women playing chess in the park.
0: My favorite in the, the series. Nice. I just thought that was such... Just kind of, like, relating with the old. I, there's something about that that I thought was really sweet. Kind of this young person among all these elderly people, and they all, like, had such respect and admiration for her. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know what about that. Absolutely. It's always kind of a shame how American media has to just immediately vilify whoever their enemy is at the time. Kind of just drop out all the nuance.
1: Yeah, and not just American media, but...
0: Me and you know, Isaac covered a Godzilla film from the 1980s called uh, Return of Godzilla. And there's a ton of Cold War dynamics going on in there, but they're kind of looking at it from a Japanese kind of standpoint where they're almost like standing in the middle trying to figure out a way to help these two parties find a balance. But they made an American version of that where they cut out all the kind of nuanced stuff and just made the Russians villains. And it's like, oh, you guys like you butcher the movie, like crazy Americans.
1: Yeah, that's really funny to take to have Japan's perspective on the Cold War.
0: <laughs> yeah, it surprisingly worked really well, especially in a Godzilla movie, but they made it work quite well, I thought. I just find it like it's a little bit rich because, uh, you know, <laughs> Imperial
1: Japan were, were doing exactly the same uh, empire building activities. And then, of course, they had a, a very different perspective after um, Oh yes. 1945.
0: Yeah, and that was like, I think it was, yeah, I guess it came out in 84, so almost 40 years difference. Very different, uh, <laughs> very different mindset in the government there. Right. But yeah, since the show was looking so solely through Beth's point of view, I don't really get the sense that she cared about politics at all. I get the sense that the only thing she cared about was chess. <laughs> Although,
1: um, she does have that intellectual integrity. And when the Christian crusade offers her funding to condemn the godless Soviets um she refuses to take their money and their endorsement so so she did show you know that she does have some political beliefs that impact her integrity and that she's willing to stand up for
0: yeah that is fair but i also kind of put that in line with when she paid off the that asshole deadbeat dad for the house where it's just like she doesn't like getting told what to do or pushed around right and she was like this nonsense sounds stupid so just take some money and leave me alone yeah i mean that's that's the sense i got
1: that's another theme um where you have the the adoptive father who rejects her you know who doesn't really support her like a father should or invest in her or or really care about her at all um so that was a really they didn't deep dig too deeply into that theme but that's a really interesting concept of when someone's adopted and then rejected.
0: Yeah, in contrast that with the mom who, I mean, I I think, you know, at at the beginning, maybe she wasn't a great mom, but she really developed into that role by the end. Always being supportive, even if she didn't really have much of an interest in chess on her own. She was always kind of like, oh, if this is what you like, you know, pursue it as much as you can, but also try to pursue other things because there's more to life than just chess. That's what I really liked about this
1: show. They didn't have any one-dimensional characters. Like, for example, the adoptive mom... Yeah, she's supportive, but she's also kind of bored and lonely, and she has her own things going on. She she likes that these chess tournaments are bringing in money, that she gets to travel, that she has a pen pal, and everything. And at first, she was kind of just happy to use Beth, like, "Oh, go get me, fill this prescription, go do this."
0: But yeah, but that I was gonna say, I'm I'm so cynical. I immediately thought that she was gonna be a villain too, <laughs> just like Mister tryball I'm like, "Oh no, now she's gonna be using her just for money." Like, oh man.
1: Yeah, but like you said, she grows into that role, and they, they do develop kind of a mother-daughter dynamic. And of course, as soon as that develops, then uh, she's she's taken out of Beth's life.
0: Yeah, which I thought was a very sad development. And they did a good job setting it up with just, she's always kind of sick, but not enough to really do anything about it. And just, yeah. yeah, eventually fucked her over. And of course, she was she was drinking quite a bit as well. Yes, that's that's true. Yeah, yeah. possibly another influence of addiction on beth but i don't think she really needed another influence although i guess the mom was the one that reintroduced her to the tranquilizers unintentionally but
1: yeah yeah i guess yeah that's true overall though i would um i would definitely say that this is a worthwhile miniseries maybe the must-see miniseries of 2020 definitely the best thing on netflix since tiger king
0: oh which i didn't watch
1: (laughs) You might be the only one.
0: <laughs> I might be, yeah. I just, those kind of things don't really appeal to me. Plus, I don't watch TV enough anyway that the only ones I watch are really narrative fiction. Well, it's it's part of the, the cultural
1: experience now, so you're going to be hearing about Tiger King <laughs> one way or another.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll have to catch up one of these days. <laughs> oh, but I was going to say, uh, what was your favorite match?
1: Uh, chess match? Well... I'll share my favorite chess moment. I don't know if I really have a, a favorite chess match, but um, this actually ties in what I was going to say as well. That the chess is very authentic, the most authentic yes. ever been on film. These are real games, real positions, real uh, chess moves that they're they're making, and it's all very realistic. And they consulted with chess masters and Gary Kasparov and others about getting that kind of thing right. So my favorite chess moment was. In Benny's apartment, he brings in these uh, two other grandmasters and they show Beth a little chess puzzle and they they show it to her on the board and then they freeze the the camera for maybe half a second or something on the board. And you are actually able, as an audience member, to pause the the show and look at that chess puzzle and try to solve it before Beth does. So that's what I ended up doing. And luckily, I was able to solve the puzzle um, and it was just a really cool experience to have chess portrayed like that and to be able to pause and try to solve a puzzle um i'm not always the best at solving chess puzzles but i did get that one and that was a pretty cool experience
0: yeah and i was gonna mention too and that's a good segue into it but uh the character of cleo i mean she's also introduced in that scene and that's one of the more interesting but also like terrible characters like what a fucker (laughs) yeah i mean she's such like a bitter beaten down character and she initially she seems really impressed about beth but i guess that's what makes her like even more jealous of her <laughs> and that's actually my favorite chess match is the second one that she has with borgov the one when she really fucks it all up by getting oh. drunk with cleo the night before yeah, yeah.
1: in the, the paris open yeah
0: yeah yeah when cleo shows up to sabotage her like a fucker
1: <laughs> yeah she really
0: did didn't she and then beth has a real hard crash after that I feel like I've met people like that in life. Saboteurs. It's just like, yeah, bitter people who you you can just tell by the way that they talk to you that that they're just looking to cut you down in some way. And yeah, that was a brutal <sighs> match to watch. But I thought that Borgov in particular was really notable in that scene because you could tell how frustrated he was to see that she did that to herself. Because hmm. he he was getting all excited about that match, like, oh, I'm actually going to get like a real, you know, opponent here. And then she just comes in you know hung over and he just looked choked and i thought that was a good moment for him
1: yeah yeah so i do have a criticism though even though the chess was very authentic there was one thing which i thought was really straining uh, credulity so they, they have like you can play blitz chess with somebody where you move you know really quickly and you don't have much time to think and that's fine mm-hmm. and you can play simultaneous chess where you're playing many people at once but what i don't think you really can do or what what really is uh, incredulous is to play blitz simultaneous chess so i'm playing yeah all three of you guys <laughs> and i am trying to blitz it all out gary kasparov was asked in an interview about this and he says it's possible like it's unrealistic but it's possible you know with high enough skill and with an attacking mindset and things but for me i think it's it's a little bit crazy like you can't simul or blitz anyone who's half decent like maybe total beginners you can do that but if someone's half decent and knows what they're doing and you're trying to simul blitz and they're on one board and they have all this time to think like i don't know i don't see
0: you winning those games <laughs> yeah you know it also could have just been a problem with the way they portrayed it Cause it seemed like that was the second time that she ever did it. They never showed her really practicing that kind of thing. And, and so it just kind of seemed like, oh, uh, <laughs> I guess she really is just an unbelievable prodigy.
1: Yeah, and, it, and and that's part of the movie magic, right? Like, it's not totally impossible. It's just hard to believe. Like, you know, movies have done different things with dogs playing soccer. So I guess it's
0: maybe it's, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't quite put that... <laughs> That's like children's entertainment. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, you know, in, on, uh, on screen, these things can happen in real life. Uh, I don't really see it happening.
0: Yeah, that, that reminds me again about that last moment with her staring up at the ceiling with it all dancing around up there. Uh, I just, uh, it almost kind of soured that match for me, but not quite because I thought the emotional element of it was good enough to carry me through. I don't think that's really so unrealistic, though. Like, it, not about realism necessarily. It just it looked so silly. And, it was a spectacle, uh, a little bit. Uh, like the music too, as it comes in, like a little bit too triumphant.
1: Oh, <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, Gary Kasparov, in this interview with CNN, he also said that this show right now is number one in Russia, and it it just hits all the the right buttons. And I thought that was really cool that it's starring an American from Kentucky in, in the narrative and, he, and an American actress from Miami, but its it does have those themes and those messages which um, transcend across the world.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. I hope they don't go uh, and watch New Mutants hoping to see more of her good performances because she has a terrible Russian accent in that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so bad. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's not the easiest accent to pull off
0: no no and she definitely didn't manage it but oh have you ever seen the witch uh no oh okay yeah that was like i think her breakout role um but me and isaac we just covered the lighthouse which is by robert eggers the same director who made the witch so it's funny uh timing with that have you ever seen the lighthouse nope <laughs> <laughs> well, i gonna check that one out that one's a, a weird one but yeah definitely a good pick i really enjoyed watching this series i wish i could have checked out the book because it seems like something that'd be really cool to check out i'm sure it'd get even more into the details of all those chess things and that's definitely one of the big things that this show did for me is it made me want to get into chess again cool i used to I love really it. i used to play um online chess constantly when i was in my late teens and i just fallen off completely for the past i don't know like seven or eight years
1: well no worries man uh, next time we get together we'll have to play a game
0: yeah you probably crushed me like you always did but <laughs> I always loved playing I didn't mind losing <laughs>
1: maybe we can do a blitz simul and then see how it goes <laughs> oh god oh god <laughs> Zachary's gotten quite good my my youngest brother Zachary him and I are always playing a few games so he's he's really picked it up he's uh nice yeah he's he's winning sometimes now
0: yeah I was gonna say he's always a smart kid but I guess he's not a kid anymore yeah that's the thing eh yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah, in the past few years, I haven't had so much time to watch like shows and stuff. But this was definitely something that I knew I had to watch, and and very very much worthwhile.
0: Definitely glad to have seen it. And Brianna watched with me, my girlfriend, and she also very much enjoyed it. And again, we've been watching so much Ani Taylor Joy just randomly, so it's nice to see a really good piece of work that she did. Really growing as an actress. Totally. Did we did we really discuss the towns thing? Because I mean, genuinely, I. I I really didn't understand, was he supposed to be portrayed as in-the-closet gay? I didn't pick up on that. I, I did think he was quite good-looking
1: and gentle with her. It was that one scene in the hotel room. Oh, where he has a roommate? Or, like, a someone staying with him?
0: Yeah, but I don't know, it seemed like there was something more going on. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's just me. It definitely threw her off, like, she, like, left awkwardly. But I thought they had uh, sexual tension leading up to those moments i thought they did too that's why i was confused and i didn't quite understand what they were trying to do did we talk much about the alcohol uh, not so much um what's your take on that it felt extremely relatable as someone who especially in my early 20s had a lot of drug or more more alcohol problems than drug problems i never really had any drug problems but alcohol has always been a, a constant in my life and especially during the bad times uh like that scene when she came home, just like down to whole bottom of the line. it's like in a complete spiral. I definitely felt very relatable to uh, the worst times of my life. So I thought they handled that really well. And I also did a good job seeding it throughout the show again. Like every time she'd have a, a success with chess, she'd be falling back onto the drugs in some way. Or anytime she had a failure, she'd fall on them even harder.
1: Yeah, I definitely noticed that there was that codependency that at least from her perspective, she needed those tranquilizer pills, those drugs, and uh, maybe she needed the alcohol to, to process some of her emotions.
0: I'm always happy to see that kind of stuff.
1: Me too. I, I agree. It was a very realistic and relatable and down-to-earth uh, way to talk about it without moralizing the issue and without glamorizing it too much either. So in some ways, I'm a little bit the opposite of you, where I haven't really had much uh, struggles with alcohol, but drugs have kind of been an ever-present codependency, you know, minor drugs. But I I really respect the way it handled those topics.
0: Yeah, so all around, good pick. I wish Isaac would have watched it because I think he would have really enjoyed the show, but (laughs) good conversation about it. Yeah, And you said you had another pick, right?
1: Um, yeah, there's another show that I enjoyed watching recently, not quite as well polished as Queen's Gambit, but it's called um, Barbarians, also on Netflix, also a miniseries. What it does in a cool way is it portrays the the Romans as the villains, and it's kind of the story of the the ambush at the Teutoburg Forest of Varus and his legions. So it, it portrays the Germans as the main characters, and it stars germans and it uses um the language is one of the most beautiful uh, parts of that show so that that one was also really well done it got you on the side of the protagonists very early on and it was short and sweet on a very low budget it has to be said and german studio so the visual effects aren't quite up to scratch but the acting the costumes the language the narrative uh, is all really good so i thought it was worth a watch but turn off for god's sake turn off the english oh yeah of course dub, <laughs> and listen oh. to the german and the the latin uh, it's beautiful
0: yeah i swear netflix like shops it out to like the cheapest studios they can play. <laughs> <It's> so bad <laughs> yeah i'll definitely check that out i haven't heard the single thing about that show except for your recommendations. so
1: and and i don't watch that many things so i'm not really the best person to uh, be giving recommendations but that is
0: something that i, I did really enjoy oh that, fair enough then yeah i barely watch any tv at all the only thing i watch is whatever brianna wants to watch for tv so <laughs> <laughs> we've been watching the vampire diaries and the originals that's my my tv right now <laughs> yeah i mean I, I got anything else
1: um no i think I, I think i said everything i i wanted to say i definitely really enjoyed it and i would recommend it to anybody well Maybe not kids.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it's good chatting with you.
1: Yeah, thanks for inviting me on The Novice Elitist. really enjoyed talking about The Queen's Gambit with you.
0: Yeah, I very much enjoyed it too. You know, hopefully hopefully people are checking... I guess you already said people are checking it out. Yeah, but but now you can send your audience over there too. But yeah, definitely have to chat again sometime. You know, you're welcome on anytime you want. I mean, especially with everyone in lockdown right now, if you have some free time, I'd be happy to talk to you again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I always enjoy
0: chatting with you, Caleb. Yeah, uh, hope you guys enjoyed the show, and see you on the next one. Peace.
1: Um, Maybe we can cut it here or you can edit this part out. But I did want to let you know about this book that I picked up, The
0: Stanley Kubrick
1: Archives, which is
0: pretty cool. Tell tell me all about it.
1: (laughs) I haven't had a chance to really look through it yet, but uh, I'm a huge Kubrick
0: fan. I think I've told you that before. Yeah, me too. In fact, my favorite film of all time is also very Cold War inspired. It's uh, Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Bringing Love the Bomb.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love that one. That's so good.
0: Yeah, I, I can't get enough of that movie. I watch it at least once a year. Do you have a favorite joke? Favorite joke? Oh. I mean, I just love George C. Scott in that film. Almost every scene he's in, I just, I love it. He's such an absurd character, and I just, all this, like, stuff with the big board and him fighting with the fighting in the <laughs> war room, all that stuff, <laughs> I just, I love it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So by the way, I just watched... That's a great one. I just recently watched Exorcist 3, which stars George C. Scott. And he's like an old man. And he's like mesmerizing in that movie. It might be a career best performance for him. I never hear anybody talking about him in that. So I was really impressed.
1: I don't think there's any such thing as a perfect film, but uh, I think three of Kubrick's um, get pretty damn close. Uh, and I would say. Oh, I'm curious which three. <laughs> or maybe
0: guess, because you'll probably get it right i mean i would put dr strangelove up there that's another perfect one 2001 is definitely on there for me hmm maybe paths of glory i really think paths of glory is one of like his undersung like best movies but i absolutely
1: agree with you and for me paths of glory is just that one tier down Uh, um but for me that that third spot would go to uh, the shining
0: yeah, see, I don't like The Shining. That's the that's oh, the really?
1: funny thing. Oh yeah, because you're a Stephen King guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then that's actually my favorite Stephen King book. So um, yeah, that's probably why, because that's, that's one of my favorite why. horror movies, if not my favorite. Yeah, every time I watch it, I'm impressed just by the design work and Kubrick as a cinematographer. I think he's that's some of his best work in that regard. Mm-hmm. But I find the characters so like hollow husks of the characters in the book that it throws me off completely, and I I struggle with the movie because of it. Yeah, I never read
1: the book, so I I appreciate the movie as a standalone um, piece of art.
0: That's fair. I wish I could have that distance, because I love Kubrick otherwise, but...
1: And of course, Stephen King had his own uh, well-publicized issues with it.
0: That's very fair. That could have influenced me, too. But um, you know
1: what? (laughs) But you know what? They... Stephen King got to have the last word with his little TV series, and that was so bad.
0: <laughs> it aged, it was 10 years after The Shining, and it aged so much more quickly. <laughs> I've had that sitting on my shelf for about seven years, unwatched, because I'm like, uh, I love you, King, but I've heard plenty bad things, I'm worried, because I know that you've, you were so positive about that. Yeah,
1: exactly. He was so unhappy with what Kubrick did. He he decided, I'm gonna do it my way, and oh my god, it just it it shines a mirror on the glory of Kubrick, in my opinion. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'll just say I had actually a, a mini uh, Kubrick marathon earlier this year, and I saw um, Barry Lyndon for the first time. I'd never seen that before, which I didn't love, but I still thought was a, a very good movie. I just found it a little bit um, at an arm's length i also saw one of his early films killer's kiss for the first time oh yeah and i thought that was a very very good film i'm surprised that people don't really talk about that as much i haven't
1: seen barry linden or eyes wide shut i've kind of been
0: saving that experience yeah eyes wide Shut* i haven't seen either it's the last one for me
1: i have seen uh paths of glory uh, the killing
0: clockwork orange yeah, that one used to be my favorite when I was a teenager, but uh, the sexual assault stuff, it, it bothers me much more than it did then. It could just be overexposure because I've really gotten into exploitation films and those are just packed with sexual assault all the time. And so now I just have such a dis- distaste on screen for it that I just, it puts me off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, And I guess Kubrick had a distaste for that film too because he tried to like ban it for all those years.
1: Well, yeah, I know it was very controversial at the time, but maybe not as controversial as Lolita was. But I think when he tried to ban it, apparently it was because there were some copycat criminals,
0: and and that yeah. kind of
1: drew the line for him. He didn't want real people to be getting
0: hurt because of his film. Yeah, and that's that'd be rough to see your art being kind of perverted in that way.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Like, you can you can use all these high concept stuff, but like. You don't know how people are going to take it.
0: And actually, I'll just say, since we you were talking about that Kubrick book that you listened to, I listened to, um, what was, oh, fuck, what was his name? <laughs> but the guy who was in Spartacus and Paths of Glory, um, he wrote a book about the making of Spartacus and about him working with Kubrick on that. And it's a oh, fascinating yeah. little insight into Kubrick and how much kind of a weirdo he was especially from that oh what was his name damn it i can't remember forgetting that kirk douglas kirk douglas that's right yeah yeah yes especially kirk douglas's yeah view of of kubrick it was <laughs> he seemed so strange but fascinating man and a Did brilliant he, like him he seemed to have a lot of respect for him as a filmmaker but not much respect at all for him as a person he seemed to be that's like really yeah, and I mean that's a common view from people who worked with him. So, I mean,
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure it wasn't easy being on, in his crew. I mean, the man was a, a genius and a perfectionist, and he could be, very cold and patient and callous about getting what he wanted. But, but the art, um, I think, is worth it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'm, I'm just worried he wouldn't have liked me or wouldn't have been nice to me. But, <laughs> but I still really like his movies.
0: Yeah, that was the fascinating thing about that book, because Spartacus was just a studio job for Kubrick. And so he kind of brought that cold and callous mentality to the making of the film.
1: And and didn't have full creative control, right?
0: And so it made him just talk so strange. (laughs) No, no, which he, of course, didn't like. Yeah. But... Yeah, great book. If anyone's curious, check that out. I mean, I thought Kirk Douglas is a pretty interesting guy and he's been around for, or at least he was around for a long time. I think he's dead now, but but anyway, (laughs) that's completely off topic. I'll probably throw that in as the extra.